Welcome to Strange Talk. Hey, strangers, welcome to another This Week in Crime. So, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining me. I'm Ernie A, and I'm the host of Strange Talk Podcast. Now, this segment happens every Wednesday. And it's called This Week in Crime. And in This Week in Crime is where I bring you news articles from around the world or from here in good old America. And I just bring you the fucked up, weird, or just strange news that the world has to offer. Um, Usually, though, before I start the episode, I usually chit-chat about nonsense or whatever the fuck I feel because I'm just so lonely. (laughs) And it seems like a lot of the episodes are going to be like that with... Any, all of the new listeners are probably just going to be like, I feel really bad for this guy. <laughs> but anyways, um, there's not really a lot going on. I have an interesting article that happens because uh, it's, well, I mean, I want to say it was like maybe a day or a couple of days ago. There was um, a little girl's body found in a duffel bag. I believe it was discovered by a hiker who was just walking along a trail and just discovered the bag. and. Man, can you imagine? You know, to be honest with you, sometimes I think about that, like, because over here, um, where I happen to live in this part of California, there's a lot of, like, trails and, like, hikes. I don't really go hiking that often, um, but when I do, I always imagine, like, what would, how would I react if I happened to stumble upon, like, a body or something? Like, would I, would I be able to keep calm and keep some decorum, or would I, would I, like, freak out and just, like, immediately, like, scream? I don't know. I wonder. But uh, going back to the subject at hand, uh, the little girl, she was identified as a nine-year-old little girl. She's African-American. And recently there's been an update, which I will go into the article, but there's been an update. So I wanted to include it into this segment of This Week in Crime. So, you know, without further ado, I don't really want to chit-chat too much. I just want to get into the articles for you guys and because uh, I want to get to the little girl. But... So let's start off. The first article I'm bringing to you, um, most of these articles I got from at the man, the myth, the legend himself, which is at Rocky the Collector. So if you want to find out who this mysterious, elusive man is that sends me and helps me out <laughs> with the articles, um, he, you can find him on Instagram at Rocky the Collector. So, you know, tell him, hey, thanks for making <laughs> Strange Talk Podcast a little less shitty. Anyway, so this first article is a billionaire diamond trader went to an upscale medical clinic in Paris for a penis enlargement. Yes, a penis enlargement. And wound up dead. The victim of a heart attack, which reportedly struck while he was under the knife. His name is super fucking weird. So, Hugh Array Laniato, 65, ultimately died from complications during surgery. The Belgian-Israel dual uh, national was to was said to have suffered the deadly heart attack just moments after getting an unknown substance injected into his penis. Citing Belgian media reports, The Sun on Wednesday claimed Leonardo <laughs> Laniato, Laniato was a victim of the so-called Napoleon complex, meaning he was obsessed with his small size. <laughs> that kind of fucking sucks that this is reporting on him. Like, he died and then... He's going to be a, the constant butt of jokes. The diamond trader always focused on his appearance and how others perceived him, according to one friend. 
He reportedly checked his bank account multiple times a day just to make himself feel better. Fuck, dude. That has to suck, though, if you think about that. He has all this money in the world, and he, he's still not satisfied. That just goes to show you, like, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much, if you're just not happy with yourself, I guess you're never going to be happy. So take that as a good lesson of this man, that no matter how much money he had, he had he was a billionaire, and he still wasn't happy with his life. <laughs> He, <clears throat> it turned out that he did have some talents, explained one friend. Internationally, he was one of the biggest experts in valuing raw diamonds. When La- when Laniato's net worth is unknown, he he had been forced to hand over more than $5 billion in penalties to Belgian authorities after getting into trouble for tax evasion. His company, Omega Diamonds, confirmed his death in a statement on Wednesday. Farewell to the visionary businessman, his company said. Jeez. <laughs> that has to suck, though. That dude had billions of dollars, but he was so... Maybe he had body dysmorphia. Would that be considered body dysmorphia? Because body dysmorphia is where you have um, the habit of... your con- You feel very unsatisfied with your appearance, and you're constantly comparing yourself to others. And uh, you don't really like taking pictures of yourself. You, you hate it, actually. Um, you're not very good in social situations because you're constantly thinking and comparing yourself like, oh, that girl's prettier than me or that dude's more like fit than me. So maybe he had, maybe he was suffering from body dysmorphia. Anyways, moving on to the next article, <clears throat> a Tennessee library book that nearly ended up in the trash was sold for a whopping $1,250 when it was found to be a first edition. The Friends of the Memphis Public Library Bookstore said the copy of Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? The novella that served as the basis for the film Blade Runner had been taken off the library shelves and placed in a bin for books to be sold or thrown away. Lewis Brown, the group's manager of online sales, said staff member Jeff Hopkins examined the tome and discovered it was a 1968 first edition. Brown said she went on Amazon and discovered similar copies of the book were being sold for up to $3,000. Jeez. She said she listed the copy for $1,250 in the hopes of making a quick sale, and it sold for the full amount in about three weeks. Brown said the sale was a new record for a single book sold by the library. This thing was going to be thrown away, and I can't imagine how many programs that it will fund for the library. It's what we're calling the sale of the decade, she said. Jeez. So that's that's a good little nice little happy ending. It's not really... Could, could you imagine? Because I remember hearing a story. It wasn't a story. What was I watching? There used to be a show. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it or if you guys ever seen it, but I used to love watching it. There was a show called Beyond Belief. It was hosted by a dude that played on the uh, Star Trek Next Generations show. And they would bring you urban legends or like stories that basically they would present you with three stories, three or four stories, I think. And each story were one would all like, actually, fuck, I'm fucking up this explanation. So like they would, they would show you three stories and you had to guess which one was fake or real, or you basically had to guess if one was real or if all of them were real or if they were all fake. And um there was an actual story this one was true and i always thought it was cool so basically what was happening was there was a man who was living uh, i want to say in california in like the nice fancy hill and like hills area 
and his house was going to collapse because it was raining and it was, there was a lot of flood and his house was going to, he was like right on the hill and the, like the hill was already collapsing and his house was going to fall. And so in a panic, he really didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to grab, but for some reason he decided to grab this painting that his wife had bought before she passed away at a garage sale. So he just decided to grab it and unbeknownst to him, it turns out that that painting was actually painted by a famous painter who died. And because of that, he lost his whole house in that accident of the landslide and everything. And when he had it, like, I think it was his neighbor or next door neighbor or something. She noticed the painting. She's like, wait a second. That looks like a lost painting by this famous painter. She's like, can I examine it? And somehow through some sheer fucking miracle, it turns out it was that painting that was lost and it was worth like millions of dollars. So he lost his home, but he was able to buy a new home with all the money that he made from his painting because he eventually sold it at an auction. So that's pretty fucking cool. So don't be quick to throw shit away because you never know what it might be, man. You never fucking know. <clears throat> so moving on to the next article. A woman who was raped and then set on fire turned the tables on the monster who attacked her dragging him into the flames and killing him, police in Indiana said. The 35-year-old woman, a widow, told police the man, 42, attacked her inside her home north of Kolkata in eastern India on Monday while her three daughters were out of the house. Then he poured kerosene on her body and set her on fire. Miraculously, the woman survived the attack, suffering burns to her face and hands while the man succumbed to his injuries at an area hospital. The woman remains under treatment at the Modella Medical College and Hospital. An ongoing sexual assault epidemic has swept India. In 2016, an average of more than 100 rapes were reported each day, according to the AFP. Fuck, that sucks. Jesus, man. <laughs> India, get your shit together. <laughs> like as if that's going to stop them. Like, oh my God, because he said that rape has declined. Anyways, moving on to the next article. And this is the article that I wanted to discuss because um, it involves the, little, the poor little girl whose body was found, discovered in the duffel bag. A man identified by the victim's family members as the boyfriend of a woman whose slain nine-year-old daughter was found partially stuffed in a stuffel bag in Hacienda Heights has been charged with murder. Emil Hunt, 38, appeared briefly in court on Tuesday morning but did not enter a plea. His arrangement has been postponed until April 16th. Hunt was arrested on Saturday after being found sleeping in his vehicle, which was parked near the San Diego International Airport. He was booked at the Norwalk Sheriff's Station later that day. Inmate records show. His bail was set at $2 million. Hunt is accused of killing Trinity Love Jones on or about March 1st, roughly four days before her body was discovered. Discovered, According to a news release from the L.A. County District Attorney's Office, family members of the young victim told KTLA on Monday that Hunt is the boyfriend of Trinity, Trinity's mother, Tequesta Graham. They said that Graham was also detained as a person of interest in the case and was being held on $2 million bail. It was unclear whether she was in custody, however, as a search of L.A. County inmate records on Tuesday morning did not show anyone matching her name. 
Graham is a registered sex offender, having been convicted in 2009 of enticing a minor female for prostitution. According to Megan's Law website, she was last released in 2016 and reported to be living in Santa Fe Springs. Hunt, meanwhile, has a prior child abuse conviction in San Diego County from 2005, according to the criminal complaint. He faces a possible maximum sentence of 50 years to life in prison if convicted on the murder charge. Authorities just confirmed his arrest on Tuesday, exactly one week after Trinity's body was found by L.A. County maintenance workers at the bottom of an embankment. One of the workers, who did not want to be identified, told KTLA in a brief but emotional interview on Monday that they were trimming trees in the area when they noticed a duffel bag. So it wasn't a hiker. I fucking lied. <laughs> when seen the little girl's head, uh, we seen the little girl's head, they said, but at that point, we thought it was a little boy because we, we couldn't really see. She was covered up with grass like the bush was kind of covering her hair, and then she was wrapped up in a blanket, and she was stuffed in a duffel bag. He described the girl's face as being peaceful, almost as if she were asleep. Fighting back tears, the man said the first thing he thought of when they made the grim discovery was his own children. He became overcome with emotion at that point, and the interview had ended. Trinity's death has been ruled a homicide by the county coroner's office, though authorities remain tight-lipped about how she died. Investigators have indicted I'm sorry, investigators have indicated they found no obvious signs of trauma on her body. In a statement on Sunday, sheriff's investigators said more information would be released later this week during a news conference. They did not specify a date of that press conference. So it's really sad and unfortunate. My guess is um, either she was, he was probably, or maybe they both were molesting her. I don't know because they haven't released any of the information yet. So who's to say what actually happened or not? So this next article, I want to give a big thank you to uh, Shy from Creep It Real podcast. She sent me this article. So thank you for sending me this article. And I wonder if you sent it to me because you know I'm Mexican. I'm just kidding. So <clears throat> the bodies of 23 people have been found hanging from a bridge or decapitated and dumped along the border city of Nuevo Laredo where drug cartels are fighting a bloody and escalating turf war. Authorities found nine of the victims, including four women, hanging from an overpass leading to a main highway. The condition of an enemy because he was not authorized to provide information on the case. This was said by a state official in the area. Hours later, police found 14 human heads inside coolers outside City Hall. Fuck. Along with a threatening note. The 14 bodies were found in black plastic bags inside a car abandoned near an international bridge. The official didn't release the contents of the note or gave a motive for the killings, but the city across the border from Laredo, Texas, has recently been torn by a renewed turf war between the Zetas cartel, a gang of former Mexican Special Forces soldiers, and the powerful Sinaloa cartel, which has joined forces with the Gulf cartel, former allies of the Zetas. <laughs> Local media published photos of the nine bloodied bodies with duct tape wrapped around their faces, hanging from the overpass along with a message threatening the Gulf cartel. Interior Secretary Alejandro Porre met with Tamalupas Governor Eguido Torre Canto 
on Friday and agreed to send more federal forces to the state, according to a statement from Porres' office. Nuevo Laredo was the site of a 2003 dispute between the Sinaloa and Gulf cartels that set off a wave of violence that has left thousands dead and spread brutal violence across Mexico. That year, then-Gulf cartel leader Osel Cardenas was arrested and accused drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, <laughs> sensing weakness, tried to move in on Nuevo Laredo, unleashing a bloody battle. The city of tree-covered plazas and hacienda-style restaurants was transformed as the Zetas, then working as enforcers for the Gulf cartel, and Sinaloa cartel fighters waged battles with guns and grenades in broad daylight. Killings and police corruption became so brazen that then-President Vincent Fox was forced to send in hundreds of troops and federal agents. And the only man brave enough to take the job of police chief was the only bra- the only man brave enough to take the job of police chief was gunned down hours after he was sworn in. Fuck. The Zetas won that fight and have since ruled the city with fear, threatening police, reporters, and city officials and extorting money from businesses. They broke off their alliance with the Gulf Cartel in 2010 worsening the violence across northeast Mexico. But last month, 14 mutilated bodies were found in a vehicle left in the city center. Some media outlets reported that the Sinaloa cartel took responsibility for those bodies and in a message allegedly signed by its leader, Guzman, said the group was now back in Nuevo Laredo to clean the city. More than 50,000 people have been killed since the Mexican government began a crackdown on narco trafficking in 2006. And you, you don't think it's like, I mean, you, you hear about it, you know, a lot in the news when certain things get reported, but you don't know what it's really like until you're actually there. And I'm not saying I was in the thick of it, but when my dad was alive, because he recently passed away about like seven months ago. When my dad was alive, his mother passed away, and we he wanted to go out to Mexico to see, because where my dad's from, he's from Uruapan, um, Michoacan, and so we I went out there with him to help him drive, because he didn't want to fly out there. He wanted to drive his car out there, which was honestly a big mistake. Uh, my dad doesn't drive a fancy car. He, dr- he drove a Toyota Camry, and... The reason why, I mean, I've seen a lot of people say that, oh, well, well, why isn't the government doing anything? It's not that they don't do anything. It's like you can't do anything because people are very easily corrupted. And you might think you have morals, but when you want money, you're going to want money. And sure, some of you are probably thinking like, well, that's not true because I don't know. But money talks. And believe me, everybody has their price. So what I'm talking about is like there was a point, I believe we were going into Sinaloa. And so obviously that's the bad part, (laughs) but there was a point in which, um, the, the federal agents were at the border of Sinaloa and we were going in and they told my dad to get out of the car. First they told us to pull over to the side. Luckily I wasn't driving. I was asleep at the time. Well, I wasn't asleep, but I was like resting because it wasn't my turn to drive. (laughs) So they told my dad to get out because I don't speak Spanish, so I wouldn't really be able to communicate with them. But they told him to get out of the car, and they took my dad kind of towards the back and away from the car so we can't hear. And so when my dad came back, he hurried up and got in the car, and he drove off. And I guess apparently what had happened was the federal agent said, hey, you drive a pretty fancy car. 
which really isn't a fancy car. It's a Toyota Camry. And they said, how important is that car to you? And my dad said, what the fuck? It's a car, you know? And they go, well, how important is your family's life to you? And so my dad had to actually pay them extra money for us to, you know, cross into Sinaloa safely. So it's, it's a very scary thing sometimes. And another thing too, I wasn't, I don't really know this cousin. I just, I know that they live in Uruapan, Michoacan, where my dad's from, but apparently it's a cousin of his. It was like maybe a year ago. She was actually killed in, um, I don't know if it was intentionally, but my dad probably thought maybe her boyfriend was involved with maybe the cartel or was trying to become like involved with them or something. But what happened was they probably, they intended to kill the, her boyfriend, but because she was in the same vehicle, they just shot everybody up and uh, yeah, she died. So I, I didn't, I never really knew her. So I can't really, I mean, I it sucks that she lost, <laughs> lost her life, but it's not like I really, I didn't really know who she was. Anyways, moving on to the next article. Filipino customs officials found four suitcases left in the rivals area of the Nahoy. Nahoy. I'm laughing because it kind of sounds like when fucking doodle Bob. Nahoy, Ninoy. Ninoy Aquino International Airport near Manila on Sunday. And when they opened them, they found a startling surprise. More than 1,500 exotic turtles and tortoises. Some of the animals were wrapped in duct tape. Some were mixed into normal-looking luggage items such as clothing, shoes, and cookies. The items were left behind by Filipino passenger coming from Hong Kong, the Philippine Bureau of Customs said in a statement. It's not clear why the passenger abandoned the animals in the airport, though the Customs Bureau has a guess. Passenger may have been informed of the vigilance of the port against illegal wildlife trade and its penalties. In the Philippines, convicted wildlife smugglers can face prison time of up to two years and a fine of up to 200,000 pesos, about $3,850. The smuggled animals included star tortoises, redfoot tortoises, salcutta tortoises, and red-eared slider turtles. They've been turned over to the officials from the Department of Environment and Natural Resources who monitor wildlife trafficking. Turtles and tortoises are often kept as exotic pets, but are sometimes also used as a form of traditional medicine or served as a delicacy across parts of Asia. Their meat is considered by some to be an aphrodisiac, while the bones are powdered for use in medicine. They were found on World Wildlife Day as Philippine News Report um, website Rappler reported. Discoveries of smuggled wildlife are not uncommon in the Philippines. Custom authorities said last year they turned over a total of 560 wildlife and endangered species, including the 250 gecko and 254 corals and other reptiles that were found in air parcels, baggage, and shipments. Earlier this year, Filipino customs officials found 63 iguanas, chameleon, and bearded dragons. Turtle smuggling is also an issue in nearby countries. Last week, 3,300 pig-nosed turtles were smuggled into Malaysia by boat, though this attempt was intercepted by Malaysia's maritime agency. So apparently wildlife uh, smuggling is actually like a big thing in, in, I guess, Asia. So now, unfortunately, this is the last article that I have for you guys of This Week in Crime. 
So let's get into it. A Kansas doctor was sentenced to life in prison Friday for unlawfully prescribing medication blamed for an overdose death. The latest prosecution in a government crackdown on physicians amid an opioid epidemic. Stephen R. Henson, 57, was immediately taken into custody following sentencing. There was an audible gasp in the packed courtroom when U.S. District Judge J. Thomas Martin pronounced the life sentence. <gasps> Henson showed no emotion. A federal... <clears throat> I'm sorry, the government presented evidence... Prosecutors allege... Oh my god, I'm so... F I fucking lost my place. Because <laughs> I got a notification on my computer where I keep all my articles and I got distracted by it. <laughs> I'm terrible, I know. A federal jury convicted the Wichita doctor for the 2015 death of Nick McGovern. Prosecutors allege McGovern, who received prescriptions from Henson, died of an overdose of the anti-anxiety drug Alprazolam and methadone, which is used to wean addicts off heroin. The government presented evidence at trial that Henson wrote prescriptions in return for cash post-dated prescriptions and wrote them without a medical need or legitimate medical exam. Prosecutors said the doctor prescribed opioid medications in amounts likely to lead to an addiction. He also was convicted of conspiracy to distribute prescription drugs outside the course of medical practice. Unlawfully distributing various prescription drugs, presenting false patient records to investigators, obstruction of justice, and money laundering. Jeez. This case is the latest in a string of prescription, uh, prosecutions across the nation targeting physicians accused of overprescribing opioids. I want this case to send a message to physicians in the healthcare community, U.S. Attorney Stephen McAllister said in a news release. Unlawfully distributing opioids and other controlled substances is a federal crime. The National Association of Attorneys General, working under a research grant, found there had been 378 doctors who had been charged or whose cases were resolved by the end of 2016 of those U.S. attorneys' offices charged 249 and state authorities charged 131, its researchers found. Defense attorney Michael Thompson said his client was disappointed in the sentence and planned to appeal. When acting as a physician, he always acted with the best interests of the patients, Thomas said. His attorney had urged the court to impose the lowest possible sentence, arguing McGovern had ingested far more pills than prescribed on the day he died and had taken other drugs that were not prescribed to him. They contended Henson did not write a prescription that would have resulted in the death if taken as directed. In a brief courtroom statement, Henson said he trained hard to become a physician. He said, I only had one goal in life as a physician, and that is to take excellent care of patients and increase functionality, he said. But the judge was unmoved by that statement, telling Henson he put his patients in a position where he had to take those pills in order to get through the day. You were exacerbating a problem. Exacerbating a problem, exacerbating. <laughs> you were not treating it, Martin said. Several tearful members of McGovern's family spoke in court of the impact the death has had on them, telling the court the family deserved to see justice served, so this example won't ever happen to another family. Some 47,600 Americans died of opioid overdoses in 2017, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Opioid deaths were 13% higher compared to 2016, up a notch compared to the nearly 500% increase in overdose deaths since 1999. The street drug fentanyl is the top overdose killer now. 
displacing heroin and pain pills. Prescription painkillers contributed to 14,495 deaths in just 2017 alone. Holy fuck, that is a problem. <laughs> you think? <laughs> So uh, that's going to be it for me, folks. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode of another This Week in Crime. I don't even know the own fucking title of my episodes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thank you for joining me on this little thing I like to do. Hope you guys enjoy it. And as always, I don't really have too much. But don't forget to send me stuff via email at Strange Talk Podcast. If you want to send me an article by email or at Instagram, at Strange Talk Podcast. I'll be happy to, I'll be more than happy to feature them in This Week in Crime. And This Week in Crime happens every Wednesday. So as always, stay strange. <laughs>